Hey there, and welcome to Upfront, a podcast that features conversations with Connecticut-based top performers who represent the very best in their field and how they are making an impact in their industry and here at home in Connecticut. Thanks for listening. The Hummel Brothers story begins in 1933. German immigrants William and Robert Hummel borrowed $1,000 to purchase a bankrupt company called Phil's Sausage Kitchen. Since both had been apprentice Wurstmachers, or sausage makers, back in Germany, they knew what it would take to make the highest quality product to offer their customers. With hard work and a dedication to their craft, Hummel Brothers soon became a household name. And business was booming. Within 20 years, the company had grown and sales were doing great. In fact, they needed to expand its manufacturing facility due to this demand. And the demand grew way beyond New Haven. In the 1960s, the company had grown throughout Connecticut, making deliveries to hungry customers with its fleet of trucks. By 1972, the Hummels had outgrown its Congress Avenue facility and moved to the Long Wharf food terminal area with a brand new manufacturing facility. And they grew again, building a new processing plant nearby. There's a common theme here if you're catching on. Hummel Brothers has grown to continue to satisfy the hunger and the needs of its customer base. Today, the company is run by the third generation of Hummels, Eric Hummel and his cousins Billy, John, and Mary Ellen. I had the opportunity to speak with Eric to learn how to properly eat a Hummel Brothers hot dog, what makes their dog so good, why employees are truly like family, and so much more. First and foremost, Eric Hummel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. Be on with you, Derek. Now, this is not a live show. It's recorded. And today, July 21st, it's National Hot Dog Day. So happy Hot Dog Day to you. (laughs) Why, thank you very much. I I hope you enjoyed a delicious Hummel hot dog on National Hot Dog Day. (laughs) I I have not yet. I've had one of those days where it was... uh, uh, breakfast at an, at an event, and then uh, just a quick lunch. So maybe I'll sneak one in tonight. There you go. Well, we actually had a great day down here. The mayor came down and uh, toured the plant and uh, the alderman and, uh, you know, some press was down here. But it was the first time the mayor was uh, through our plant. So it was great to show him all the new equipment that that my generation's been working to to bring in and make sure that we can keep going forward here. So it was a good day. We we had a good day there. That's exciting. That's exciting, and that's good to hear. So, where are you at this moment in time? Are you uh, loc- you're, you're in New Haven, right? Right. Yeah. We're uh, we're we're not part of the food terminal. We're we're actually behind the food terminal, but it's in that same area. Yeah, right off of. Exit 46 off of 95 in the Longwear Food Terminal area. There you go. And where did you, where did you grow up, Eric? Well, I grew up, you know, I was born and, and lived in Hamden until I was 11, then moved to North Haven. Um, and then once I got married, my wife and I now live in Cheshire. And, and what would you say, you know, as a kid growing up in like the, the, the North Haven area and stuff, what, or just in general growing up around the family business and such what was that like it was actually really it it was neat because you know back in the day uh you know we would lend the trucks out to to the fairs and to you know there's one of the german singing societies that used to do this big beer fest and when we were kids and and you know our fathers would let us go pick up the truck from the event on a sunday night um, you know, that was exciting stuff for us. And, you know, when we were 13, we all started in the business loading trucks. And then every one of us worked in the deli on Saturday. Uh, you know, so we've been doing this really since we were 13 years old. So it, it's what we know. You know, we were just brought up in the business. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, childhood aspirations. Did you did you always dream of getting involved in the family business or, or were there other things you wanted to pursue? 
Well, you know, that that's funny because, you know, when I was young, yeah, absolutely. That this is what I was going to do and follow in my grandfather or my father's footsteps. But then when I graduated college, I actually went out to Los Angeles and I, I planned on not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> what what'd but, you go out there for? Um, my dad opened a restaurant out there with some other guys uh and it was really uh savin rock style you mm. know we did a split we did a split hummel hot dog on a, on the griddle you know which around here is commonplace but you know where we were we were restaurant was located in westwood and um you know they just had nothing like that out there so my dad asked me to go out and and you know learn the business and protect his interest and but, uh, you know, it was an interesting time. I, I loved L.A. I really did. Oh, yeah. Cal- California is a dream, right? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it depends upon who you know and where you get to go. So, I mean, I, I, I was able to stay with a family that lived up in Woodland Hills. So, you know, my, the bedroom I stayed in overlooked the whole valley. So it was just it was beautiful. Wow. But, uh but there was a time I needed to come back and I stayed and, uh, let's see. So I started here full time. When I got back from there, I was 25. Mm-hmm. So, and now I'm 60. So I've been doing this full time for, for a couple of years anyway. Sure. Yeah. You know what you're doing by this point, I imagine. Um, and oh, yeah, I, I we hope. <laughs> right. And and what about uh I know you have some brothers, but uh and, and any sisters? And how many are there? Well, I, I have two sisters. They're not in the business. The 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 other owners in the third generation are actually my cousins. Okay. Those are my grandfather's brothers' grandchildren. And uh there's there's Billy, John, and Mary Ellen. Uh, they're from Uncle Bill's side. And then there's me from my grandfather's side. So there are four of us now running the business in the third generation. Got it. And are are you the oldest, youngest, middle? Oh, I'm the baby. You're the baby. So everybody paved the path. Yeah. Everybody paved the path for you, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure my sisters will absolutely say that. <laughs> so okay, so you're a kid growing up in Connecticut, and then you know, you, you, b- before you took off. For, for sunny California, um, did you play any kind of did you play any kind of sports growing up around here? Well, you know, once I was in high school, I uh, you know, I mean, everybody grew up playing a little league, and you know, when I was in Hamden, it, it's pretty much every kid does youth hockey. Um, yep. But once high school, it was it was football, hockey, and tennis. Those were my three letter sports. Very nice. And is there anything from that? that you, you took from playing sports that you still apply today? Uh, probably the limp in my left leg. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, no, just, all kidding aside, you know, when you're in organized sports like that, especially when you, when you get into, you know, say football, it's the camaraderie, it's being part of a team, um, you know, there are a lot of sports that are very, you know, although you're part of a team, you're, you're sort of an individual, Yeah. but when you get into football and even hockey, you know, it's really, you know, when you're in that huddle with the guys that are sweating and bleeding, just like you, mm-hmm. you know, for 60 minutes a game, it, you know, it's something that you really come come to appreciate. And as you get older, you know, you realize how much that meant to you and how much those guys still do mean to you all these years later. Absolutely. No, I have that same feeling too. When the in the sports I did, I, I was a swimmer um, and did a little bit of soccer as well. So um, a little bit of individual and team sports at the same time. And and you mentioned you went to college. Where did you go to college? I went to the Crimson Tide of Alabama. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, because when I was there, Bear Bryant was still coaching. Big football. So it's, it's, it, 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 oh yeah. It was great. And then, well, my two sisters were down there at the same time. Uh, My daughter went for a couple of years. My son actually went and graduated. Uh, He's been out of there now 
three years, four years, something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's become kind of a family thing for everybody to head down there. Football and hot dogs, the two go hand in hand, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Getting back to the family business, and not to, to dive too too much into it, because it is a great story. You, you know, your your grandfather and his brother's story. It's the American dream. They put together a pool of money. I think they they pulled together a thousand bucks and then started the the company by by purchasing. Um, a, a factory did you, did you know your grandfather at all oh sure sure yeah he didn't pass away until uh right before my daughter was born and she's gonna be 32 so he, he passed away about 31 years ago so yeah sure absolutely you know him. What, what what was he like oh he he was a he was a tough old german is what he was <laughs> you know I, well you know the, i can only speak for 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 you know, my family, my grandfather and great uncle, but you know, they were literally off the boat from Germany and what they knew was hard work. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what has been passed down from generation to generation is, uh, you know, you work hard at what you do and you give it a hundred percent all the time. But you know, my, my grandfather was the, the king of sayings. He, you know, he used to tell me that he had a thick German accent, and he would say, you know, in a family business, the first generation builds it, the second generation enjoys it, and the third generation runs it into the ground. Oh, no. <laughs> and I used to ask him if that was a motivational speech, because I really don't feel motivated right now. Right. But, you know, what they knew, like I say, what they knew was hard work, and, and in their minds, you know, none of us will ever work as hard as they did. And, you know, that it is true. It is true that, you know, you, you hope each generation does not have to work literally as hard as the pre, as the generation before. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, my father used to tell a story when he bought the first hand truck. My grandfather had a fit. He had a fit. What do we need that for? You just pick it up and carry it. You don't need that. Mm. So, you know, things like, like hand trucks and, and forklifts and tow motors and things like that, that was all non-existent. You know, you just did it by, you know, a lot of sweat and a lot of hard work. Yeah, I know. There is something to be said for that generation who really just, you know, put their nose to the grindstone, grindstones, so to speak, and, and, and paved the way. Um, so, you know, your grandfather and his brothers, they established the company. Did your father step in and he ran the business, right? Second generation, um, when it was, was his turn, um, he, had, he had taken over, correct? Well, in the second generation, there were three of them. Yep. There, there was, was my dad's brother, was Robert, and then their cousin, which was Uncle Bill's son. His name was Bill also. Mm-hmm. Um, so the three of them, the three of the second generation ran the business, when it was their turn. Okay. And what about your mom? Was she involved in the, the business aspect of it at all? No, no, no. My mother's, uh, she's always been a businesswoman on her own. Okay. She was actually uh, the, the first female stockbroker in the city of New Haven years ago. Oh, wow. That's a that's a fascinating story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. She's, she's, I tell you what, you talk about a hard worker and a go-getter. She's still, to this day... Uh, hard-working woman. Hopefully she's not on Wall Street still. <laughs> no, no, no. She's the, actually the executive director of the New Haven Corral. Oh, wow. That's great. Uh, singing group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think she's, I think she's really liking that at, at this point in her life, I would, which I'm glad. I would imagine. God, God bless her. Um, so you mentioned some of the, the, you know, the value of hard work that your grandfather in, instilled in you. What, what about your parents? Same kind of thing. What kind of values did they instill in you that you, you still carry with you today? But more importantly, that you apply to your business. Is there any kind of values? Well, yeah, you know, one of the the main things that that I was taught was, you know, nobody owes nobody owes me anything because of my last name. Yep. That I I owe the community. 
And because without the community, you don't make three generations in a business. So, you know, my mother always emphasized to me how important it was for me to always be out in the community. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been an auctioneer for over 20 years now. Um, and I, I do all the auctioneering for all the, for the children's hospital, Ronald McDonald house, um, Columbus house is they're they're a homeless shelter, new reach. Uh, you know, so it's important for me to give back. It's very important because, you know, without the community and out and without the people buying our product, we wouldn't be here. Mm. So we owe, we owe them and it's, and it's our responsibility. And I've already instilled that in my children. You know, my, my son, he does a lot of volunteering because it's just, it, it, it's your responsibility. And I, I, you know, I was, I used to be on the board of directors of the Red Cross and I, a gentleman that was actually older than I joined and he, he just couldn't understand why he was doing that. You know, what, what was he doing? Mm. And I said, you know, if you can get up and get out of bed and you have a job to go to and your health is okay and your family's okay, then you know what? The, and, and you've had a bit of success in business, then you have a responsibility to give back. And what I tell people is there are two ways to give back either with your money and a lot of organiz- a lot of these organizations, that's what they need. They need people to come in with money and donations. But if you don't have, the money to give to an organization, your time is just as important. So to volunteer a portion of your time to help give back, you know, that's a way to give back. So one way or the other, you should find a way to, to give back to the community. You know, I mean, we're, sure, we're in a business and all, but I think it's everybody's responsibility. If you, you know, if, if life is okay for you, then you have a responsibility to do something for somebody. Mm-hmm. So, I I agree. I think that that's a great point you bring up because, like you said, you know, without the community, we are nothing. You you you've been such an intrinsic part of you know New Haven and Connecticut and so forth that it just makes sense to give back. And you know, there's a lot that you can you know not only okay, great, it's it's good to give money to organizations and that's that's valuable and they need that, but it's also good to share your expertise or your your leadership or you know the the things that sure. you can instill in other organizations. Sure, I've given a, a lot of talks to um, you know some high school students. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a friend of mine that that teaches over in East Haven, and he usually has has me come and talk to his graduating class and, and, you know, I just try to instill some things that we learned and, and, you know, let them know that there's no easy way to get it done. Yeah. The only way to do it is hard work, apply yourself, keep at it, you know, and, and hopefully somebody's going to give you a break at some point. Yeah. So, but you know, if you stop, you're never going to get that opportunity or that break. You've always got to keep moving forward. Always. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I want to ask, um, because you mentioned, you know, being 13, 14, getting involved in the business. What have you done every job at, at Humble Brothers? Have you done, you know, every, all there is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, um, you know, it was fun when you got to work in the kitchen mm. because it was fun to be able to, to, you know, stuff the hot dogs or do all that. When you got sent to the packing room, it was almost like a punishment. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a boring job. Yeah. So, but yeah, we've had, we've had to do them all. And in fact, you know, when we graduated college, there was a rule that, that you cannot come work here right away. You've got to go work for somebody else before you come back and work here because you need to know what it's like to be an employee before you learn what it's like to be a manager or a business owner. And, you know, we all felt that 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 time working for other people, you know, gave us an understanding on, on how to treat our own employees. Oh, what a good. So, you know, although, it, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was kind of scary because you figure, you know, you're about to graduate college and I'm going to move right into this family business. But, you know, when we learned that, you know, we all did it. We all, we all took jobs, but they were learning experiences. And when, when we 
became the ones to run this business, you know, it, it's how you treat your employees. And that's one thing my grandfather always, always did instill on us is, you know, if you treat your employees with respect and treat them like your, their family, then they'll be with you forever. Yeah. And honestly, I, I, I have employees here that I saw come in as young men, not married, that have since gotten married, had children. I've seen those children become first in their families to graduate college. And now I'm seeing some of those same, same young men or young women become grandparents. So, you know, people, people are here, and, and I always lose concept of time. You know, when you're in this place for this many years, you know, I, I'll look at a kid still think he's new and he's been here 20 years. You know, but it just seems like it's a new face, even though I've seen it for 20 years. But, you know, we do have people that have been here. We have one guy that was that actually worked for my grandfather and he still comes to work. You know, when we need him, we call him in. But one of the girls that answers the phone here, she started in 1971 and she's still here. Wow. So, you know, but like, you know, like my grandfather taught us, if you treat them with respect. And you treat them as as they're part of your family; they'll be with you forever. That is it, that that yes, I agree wholeheartedly on that. And you know the other the other <laughs> thing though that what a great business philosophy or practice of like uh, of a family business. If you want to work here, you got to go work somewhere else. Where where did you go work, and what did you learn? Well, that's when that's when I headed out to Los Angeles. Yeah, that, that was a job that I took. Um, and, you know, my job was to actually learn how to run a restaurant. Mm. And, uh, you know, funny circumstances, you know, all of a sudden I was, I was left kind of by myself to figure it out. Yep. And, you know, you, when you, when you got to figure it out on the fly, you learn very quickly, but, you know, growing up, riding on the trucks and delivering to the hot dog stands that, you know, we've had, and we, we delivered to hundreds of hot dog stands, but I at least was aware of what they did in those restaurants. So when I was out in LA, I had an idea already of, of how I should be doing. And the man I was supposed to learn the business from, uh, ended up, ended up just kind of leaving and disappearing. And, you know, here I was, what, you know, kind of a fresh face out of college. And now I've got to manage 13 people in a restaurant that just opened, you know, and, and Westwood is, uh, they, they block the streets off on the weekends because the theater, the movie theaters out there are still these opulent movie theaters. And, uh, you know, they have the, the movie premieres. I like next door to us was a big theater. They had a James Bond premiere there, uh, the walking traffic, so, you know, you, you, I, I had to learn very, very quickly. Mm, yeah, no, for sure. And, and so there are a lot of great family-run businesses here in Connecticut, including a few guests who've, who've been here on the show. We've had Cindy Bigelow from Bigelow Tea, um, John Lyman um, from Lyman Orchards. Uh, um, what, what is the secret or challenge of running a family business? Well, you know, it's funny. My response is probably going to sound very similar to their response. It's, you know, when you get to, when you get to a third generation, not so much in a second generation, because a second generation is usually, you know, the sons of the people that founded it. But by the time you get to a third generation, you know, the only way you could do that is you've had to have been somewhat successful. The business has had to be somewhat successful to get to a third generation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, what ends up happening is you, you have a lot of egos by then, you know, um, and then it's, it's, you know, why do I have to do this job and he gets to do that job? Or why, why does it seem like I'm working harder than, you know, a brother or sister or cousin or, you know, anything like that. And, and you get, if you get stuck in that sort of piddly argument, you'll never succeed. You'll never. And that's why a lot of third generation businesses fail. Yep. But with our generation, we realized, you know what, if we don't each focus on what we do well and run with that, then we're never going to go forward. And that's what we've been able to do that very nicely 
here with my generation. You know, my, my cousin Billy is actually our CEO, and he does a great job. And, you know, I always, I always say I, I, I would give my last dollar away, and he's still got the first dollar he ever made. So who would you want running your business? Certainly not me. You know? <laughs> Did we turn a profit? Well, not really. <laughs> but, but what's nice about that is it's a good balance. It's a good balance. So, and and each one of us has our strong suits. And and you know, if, if you stay and direct your energy in that, in what you do well, and don't focus on, you know, what is he doing? What are they doing? What? Because we're all after the same goal. You know, for our business to to be profitable and successful and to grow, and you can't ever lose sight of that. And, and the way you lose sight of that, like I said, is getting caught up in that piddly stuff. So the quicker you learn how to put all that away, you know, figure out what each of you do best and go, go in that direction, you know, that's how you'll succeed in the third generation. Absolutely. They always say, if you want to look smart, hire smart people to work around you, right? Yeah, absolutely. The art of, the art of being a good manager is getting somebody else to do your job. Oh, That's boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, Eric, you have what, you know, I call a, or what a lot of people call a passion brand. You know, there's there, people are fierce. Yes. People are fiercely loyal. And they love their humble brothers' hot dogs. In fact, you know, when doing yes. when doing research, I've read stories about people who ship them to other states where they move, or when they come here and visit, they pack them in suitcases and you know get through the airport, uh, get through the airports with them, and so forth. That's got to be oh, yeah. it, that's got to be an incredible feeling. Why 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 do you think this is? Well, we make a really good hot dog. It's as simple as that, isn't it? <laughs> Well, and that's my well, next. I mean, that's. <laughs> but 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 truthfully, that's what it is. And and we we have this little say. We say we have a small but warped following, because the people, <laughs> they, they honestly are fanatical about our hot dogs. They and are. the one thing about New Haven, when people move out of here, the three things they miss: hot dogs, pizza, and Italian bread. Yep. So you know, and and I handle all the the. Uh, online orders that go out mm -hmm. and we FedEx all over the country. You know, I, last week I, I sent a box out to Hawaii. I've, I've previously sent something out to Alaska. Wow. I had somebody wanting to know how they can get them over in Vietnam. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to get that one done, but, but yeah. And you know, you could, you could tell when all the snowbirds head back down to Florida, because all of a sudden all the web orders are coming from, you know, all those addresses down in Florida but we we literally do ship all over the country to people. Amazing. And, you know, all jokes aside, you said it, you know, because we make a good hot dog. And that, that was my follow up question to that is what makes your hot dog so good? I mean, you know, Coca-Cola has like their secret recipe. I'm sure there's a little bit of secret involved in, in yours. But, you know, you don't have you don't have to tell me. But what what what's been? Yeah, what's I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Fair. Because, because what it breaks down to, I mean, my, my grandfather used to say there's no secret to making a good hot dog. It's good meat and good spices. There you but it's 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 the recipe that those spices are is what gives it the flavor. Yeah. And that's the recipe that they brought over from Germany with them. And the fact that we still smoke our hot dogs with real hickory wood, you know, mm. a lot of, a lot of companies use a liquid smoke because it's, it's cheaper to do it that way. But when you bite into the product, that's, you know, that's the predominant taste you get is that kind of overly acidic smoky taste. You know, with ours, it's it's a nice, mild, smoky flavor, because uh, you know we don't cook with the smoke. We we we, you know, smoke for a certain period of time. Yeah. But it's done with real hickory wood, and you just can't duplicate that. Mm. Now I'm getting hungry. See what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, if you ever come down here, when 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 the smokehouse goes off, you know the product is fully cooked. Yep. So when the smokehouse goes off and you open it and grab a grab a hot dog right out of the smokehouse, it's a flavor that once it cools, you you'll never have that flavor again. So you know at some point you got to take a ride down here and I get uh, I'll, I'll give you the tour. Um, but yeah, that that flavor is something something else. 
I'm going to take you up on that. that. That's a generous offer, and I, I will uh, I will definitely uh, do that in the near future. Can you take us through your daily routine? You know, what time are, do you get up in the morning? Are you an early morning person? No, I hate the morning with a passion, actually. I, um, you know... My- my grandfather would always say that, that a Hummel should be here to open the plant in the morning and a Hummel should be here to lock it up at night. So since I hate the morning, I've always taken the, the, the later one. So I'll be, I'm here to lock, lock up every single night. Okay, so the night shift. My day is, you know, basically when I get here, and I, I think we all do that, we got to weed through all the unimportant emails before we, you know, finally get to open the ones that are important. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I'll, then I'll handle all the web orders and then handle any anybody who's got the online questions for us. Um, there are usually a ton of those. And then, you know, we have our meetings with our managers all the time. Um, you know, walk the floor. We always walk the floor. You know, you, you've got to – we don't work over people's shoulders. Yep. You know, we let our employees do their job. But – you know, we, we usually walk through every day. One of us will, will walk through every day to just let them know that, you know what, we are here. We do care about what you're doing, and we just want to come through and make sure everything's up to the standards that, that we expect. Right. But, we, you know, we do it in, in a way that's not, you know, there, there are some places where the manager is going to stand right over your shoulder, and that's, that's just not the way we operate, and we don't need to operate that way. Yeah, no, for sure, and that that could that could become stressful. But um, so when when you are up from from the from the late nights, um, you know, do you have any special morning routines? Like you know, some people go out for that that run, or they 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 don't look at email till after they've had like you know a pot of coffee. Do you have any special routines that you do that kind of keeps you balanced and centered before you tackle your day? I, I think the way I set up my day kind of kind of helps me into it. You know, I mean, mm. first thing I do when I walk in the door is grab my cup of coffee, and then then I'll go up to my office, fire up the computer. And then, like I said, I mean, you, we've all got a ton of emails that are that that are nothing and need to be deleted, you know. And then you've got to go through your pages and pages and pages of emails that are pertinent, and. You know, usually after I have my cup of coffee, that's when I kind of sit down and say, "Okay, let's get into these important emails now. Let's let's get back to all these people, Um, you know, and like I said, then 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 come all the meetings and it's very regimented. I I like to be a regimented person. I did graduate from military high school, so it's kind of stayed with me. That that I like everything the same. I really don't like to vary all that much. But, you know, I find that helps me through my day. I, as I always say, I value consistency, right? <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. But there, I mean, there are people that can, you know, they can bounce around and, and do, you know, a million things at one time. You know, I, I'm somebody that I need to set everything up in the way that I like it before I tackle it. Yeah, so. yeah. So I, I, I got a sense of your leadership style. It's, you know, surrounding yourself with great people, letting people do their jobs without having to watch over their, their, their shoulders. Um, you know, as a leader, what, what, apart from all of that, what would you say is your greatest challenge as a leader and, and how do you overcome it? Ah, challenge of being a leader. I, well, you know, I think it's it's making sure, you know, like I tell our employees, my door is always open. You know, n- never think that you cannot come up to my, my office if you need me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's something I never really thought about. But, you know, as, I guess as I get older, because I, I watched employees look at my father that way, you know, some employees have a fear of going to talk to a boss. But I let them know that, you know, we're a family business. We expect if there's something wrong, you come to us. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's some of the challenge is the ones that don't come up and talk to you, but you know that there's something going on, you know that there's something bothering them, and then I've got to go and kind of, kind of draw it out of them. You know, I, when, 
when you work with people, as long as I've worked with these people, you know when somebody's having an off day. You know, I see you every day for how many hours? I probably see you more than you, you see your husband and wife. Mm. You know, by the time you get home, you know, how many hours are you with them before you go to bed? But, right. you know, I see the employees every day, you know, and, and you'll know if, if, if somebody's upset, if somebody's angry. If so, and even if they don't come to talk to me about it, I will go to them and ask, ask them flat, flat out, you know, what's, what's the matter? Nothing, nothing. What's the matter? I can tell. I know you well enough. You know, and finally you draw it out of them. So, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest challenges is when you have an employee that really won't come to you and, and say what's on their mind. Yeah. You know, you, you yeah. have to figure it out and you have to know your employees. It's so important. You know, you, you just can't pass them in the hall, you know, like they're people that just punch in and punch out. And, and that's all they are. You know, and I know there are companies that treat their people that way, but that's not. That's not what we were taught, and that's not how we operate in our generation. That is not how we operate. So I'll always take time to, to speak with employee if it's work-related or personal-related. You know, some people just need to get things off their chest, and that's fine. You know, I have no problem taking part of my day to make sure an employee is okay. You know, I will never be too busy where I'm not going to take time for an employee that, that needs to see me. That is very admirable, and uh, more companies should should heed that advice. And you know, it, it's probably something you're you're proud of as a leader. But uh, apart from that, are there any comp- accomplishments, or you know, what's been something throughout your career that has been incredibly rewarding? It, it, you know, something that made you feel incredibly good about what you do. Is there any moment or story you'd like to share to that? Um, you know, as far as work, you know, there's nothing that really stands out. Um, you know, I mean, as we get some accounts that we've been after it's, you know, I remember years ago when we were trying to get lake compounds, when they were doing concerts, you know, that when we, when we got the account, we all cheered kind of thing. But, you know, I I would say it's been more on the, the give back part of what I do. Um, I mean, the, the, the most recent thing I was awarded was the Marna Borgstrom Lifetime Achievement Award from the Children's Hospital. Mm. You know, it's stuff like that that, that makes me feel good. Work is going to be work. You know, there are going to be good days and there are going to be bad days. But, you know, when you have an organization that stops to recognize you for the work that you put in, which is not why you do it, yeah. but when you are recognized for it, it that's what makes me feel good. Absolutely. And congratulations on that, that award. That's a very uh, nice award to, oh. to receive. <laughs> thank, you. thank you very much. You're yeah, welcome. I'm proud of that one. Um, okay. So Hummel Brothers, it's as a company, family business, it's incredibly successful. People love your hot dogs. We've established that. You have the family business story behind it. And, and, and success Success is easy for all of us to talk about, right? We, we love to talk about the, the things we win or accomplish. Um, but this is always a, a, a tougher, tougher question to answer. Tell me about a favorite failure of yours. And what I mean by that is, was there something you failed at? And what was the lesson learned behind it? <laughs> well, yeah. You're you're actually going to shake your head on this one. Oh boy! Because I still have the paper, I still have the paperwork in my filing cabinet. Okay. Because I refused, I refused to get rid of it because it was the worst thing I possibly could have done, and I leave it there to remind me. It's the completed paperwork where we were going to be the first food product sponsored by NASCAR. We were going to be the official hot dog of NASCAR. Oh, wow. Uh, Bill, Bill France, who used, used to own Daytona Speedway, and, and he was the president of NASCAR for years and years. He was a Hummel hot dog fanatic. Fanatic. Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually served our product down there for, for a little while, you know, logistically-wise and the timing-wise. And that's why, you know, I never 
sent the paperwork in is because it was it was really ahead of our time. And I was afraid that if I send it in and we get it, it's going to be a huge failure and we're going to end up looking like idiots more than we're going to be looking like heroes. Now, if that was today and we have the packaging that we have today and the shelf life that we have today and, uh, you know, we could promote it differently, yeah, it, it would be great. But, you know, when I look at that, and then what NASCAR became after that? Mm. Because they had no they had no idea how how to even write up the contract. And I'm talking about NASCAR. It was such at the beginning. It was before their big boom, and you know we were the first food product they were talking to. And you know my generation was just really trying to get their legs at that point. And you know, NASCAR wanted to know, you know, what kind of rebate are they going to get? You know, what percentage are they going to get? And, you know, I, it, I just felt it was too ahead of us. And I did not want to fail in front of them. But when it boomed, now you can't even touch that number. Right. You know, for us to become an official anything of NASCAR cost a fortune now. But, you know, back then it was going to be uh, a percentage based on sales. So, but yeah, that, that I, that's my biggest failure. Absolutely. Mm. To look back on those, th- those things, but I'm, I'm sure it's uh it, it's also a motivating force today, right? <laughs> to have that. Yes. Yes. I will never let anything like that slip through my fingers again. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, do, in, in doing some, some more research and when learning more about the company, I, I discovered that Hummel Brothers was pretty innovative with its advertising. I, I believe it was a series. Of, <laughs> I, I believe it was a series of, of, of ads in the 1960s. And, and you know, if you go back, yep. if you go back to the 60s um, and, and look back at that era, it's the peak heyday of the New York City ad men or mad men, right? As they as they call them, where adver- yes. advertising was king. Anyhow, the, these ads that Hummel Brothers did back then explained. You know, you kind of called it out and came out and explained the real color of the hot dog when red dye was removed. Everybody was putting red dye in and you guys came out and said, hey, look, this is what we're doing. And this is the real color of hot dogs. That that was a pretty gutsy move. Yeah, very, very, very. So probably one of the ads you you saw would would have been the second generation with uh, my my father, my uncle and uh, and Uncle Bill. That that said, only our faces are red. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. That was one of the ones, and and something was like pale face or whatever the the other ad was. But yeah, back in the day, hot dogs were dyed red, and the government. It was really before USDA was as prevalent as it is now. But the government came out and they would say, okay, red dye number five, you can use. And a year later, they say, no, no, can't use red dye number five anymore. You have to use red dye number 13. And this kept happening. It kept changing. And finally, you know, my family or or that generation, the first and second generation together said, you know, our best bet is to just stop dyeing our hot dogs and let them have their natural color. But they had to educate consumers because, you know, compared to a red dye hot dog, every once in a while you'll, you'll see them in a supermarket maybe. Uh, we actually do private label for a company up in Vermont. That, that's, that's what we do. We, we use a dyed casing. That's what they like up there. Yep. But when we took it out, you know, people looked at it and, and thought it looked pale and, you know, didn't have the color. But when you educate them that, you know what, you're getting more of a wholesome product now. And, you know, that that's really the important thing. That flavor is there. The flavor that you're used to tastes exactly the same. Um, you know, the quality ingredients are exactly the same. It's just we're not going to put that dye in our product anymore. And, uh, you know, but then you then now you look at the industry and it, it's not normal to have a dyed hot dog. So you were definitely ahead of your time for sure. Um with, with, with all yeah. that. Um, I guess a question I, I would have summertime is obviously the busiest time of year for hot dogs. 
in the big holiday weekends throughout the year, like Labor Day, Memorial Day, and so forth. How do you keep people interested in hot dogs all year round? Um, or, or, or does it depend on where you live? Well, it's, you know, you do have your year-round sales. In other words, you know, once you, once you start getting into the winter months, uh, you know, more, more moms or dads are making boiled hot dogs or pan-fried hot dogs. And, you know, there's still some people that are going to shovel their deck and go out and light up their grill in the middle of the winter. Um, but, you know, growing up, we did, we did all of our business in the four months of summer. And if it was a rainy summer, that, you know, I, one time it rained 14 out of the 16 weekends of summer and almost put us out of business. So what, what our generation has done is grown our product line. So we're now a viable 12 month company with, with everything. In other words, you know, after hot dog season will end, uh, you know, corned beef will pick up our spiral hams for, for Christmas will pick up. Uh, and then as you, as you move into the new year, uh, you know, we, we start getting ready for St. Patrick's Day because we sell millions of pounds of corned beef. Our corned beef is fantastic. But, you know, these are items that now make us 12 months out of the year viable. You know, growing up, we had a, we had a bigger lunch meat line. Mm. Uh, you know, we made loaves and things like that. But, you know, that's something that sort of died off. You don't see kids eating those items now. So, you know, as we discontinued things, we said, you know, we need to supplement with something else. And, you know, especially with, with corned beef, there was such a void in the market. And, you know, the, the butchers that we brought in had worked for other places and actually taught us how to make corned beef. And, you know, ours, we, we are the biggest corned beef manufacturer in the state of Connecticut, as well as the biggest hot dog manufacturer in the state. So... You know, it's nice that we have other items that, you know, like this summer, the weather hasn't been all that great. So, you know, to make sure that we have other items to get us through the years is vital. It's vital now. Yeah, I never really, you know, realized it until recently how how, how much the hot dog is hot dog hinges on the weather. Um, it, it's kind of fascinating. Um, so in, in, in terms of the, the business, you know, it, we're coming out of, knock on wood, we're coming out of one of the worst pandemics of our time and are getting back to some kind of normalcy. Um, how did COVID impact Hummel Brothers um, when that hit? Did it, uh, take me through that. Well, you know, in the beginning, in that in that March, April time, um, we were so busy making an item that, we usually don't make a ton of, and those are the little one pound packages that you see in the meat department. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we, we couldn't make them fast enough because you figure the kids were home from school. What are they going to eat? Yeah. And a lot of them were eating hot dogs during that time. Mm. And, you know, we had, we had some employees that were, were not going to come in. They were too fearful. And, you know, we, we understood. You know, not a lot of companies would, would do that. But listen, if you're not comfortable coming to work, don't come to work. You will have a job when you're ready to come back. But, and, you know, there were times we were lucky we had 50% of our people here. And, but everybody worked hard and got product out because we felt it was important that there's no glitch in our system because people were depending on us at that point. You know, they, they were fearful to go to the supermarkets. They were fearful to do anything. And, you know, a lot of people were just buying the one pound packages and loading up the fridge. And that, that's what either the, the kids were getting for lunch or dinner or, or families were getting for lunch or dinner. So, you know, it was, we, we, we definitely had to, to change things because like I said, that's not a product we usually make a ton of during that time of year. But, you know, everybody applied themselves and, and worked hard. You know, we had a, we, we did feel a sense of responsibility. You know, we are a food item that people are depending on that we need to get it out. Mm. And, uh, and we did. We, we did. The employees worked hard. The drivers worked hard. You know, and, and, you know, everybody had to go out masked and gloved and everything. But, but we did it. We did it. Now I feel it's, you know, people are sort of back to normal. 
and I, and I and I really do hope that we do not take a step backwards with all this. I, I, I be honest with you, I don't understand the unvaccinated portion of the of the country right now. But you know, we just we cannot go backwards. I, I, you know, if you look at the kids that stayed home and did not have kid socialization, right? You know, that that's so important, and they they missed out on a whole year, and hopefully. You know, they don't have to go through that again. Uh, you know, adults complain, but, you know, kids, what they missed out on, it's... Oh, for sure. That's a lot. Yeah, no. That's a lot. I, I know. I Family members that missed, you know, grad, graduations, proms, all that kind of stuff. Things that, you know, we sort of took for granted that were a normal part of, of growing up. But, you know, I was going to say that, you know, people certainly sort of, quote unquote, rediscovered things close to home, right? Especially like their backyard, their backyards and their kitchens and cooking. I mean, I even took up baking my own bread, right? I'm making sourdough bread in the kitchen. Um, So it it sounds like you noticed more people buying hot dog, your hot dogs and other products and and having those be a, 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 you know, a, a place in their homes during, during this pandemic for sure. Yeah. And you know, it, uh, you know, I belong to a, a Facebook page that that's that's called Worcester Street Cooks, and it's, it's oh yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you know of it. And how many I know of this different hot dog hot dog recipes they put up during the pandemic. You know, it's it's you know who likes hot dogs and potatoes? Who likes hot dogs, peppers, and potatoes? Okay, if you make hot dogs, peppers, and potatoes, do you put sauce in yours, or do you use? Do you, do you not put sauce in yours? The amount of recipe sharing on that page, a, a colleague of mine turned me on to it, so I have to give him uh, credit for it. But it's unbelievable, and, and people taking <laughs> p- pictures of their foods and people talking about Hummel Brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and somebody somewhere started a, a, a Facebook page called For the Love of Hummel Hot Dogs. And I have no wow. idea who started it. Well, you got to reach out. You got to reach out to them and be a part of it somehow. Well, I, I just like watching all the people trying to figure out where they can, you know, where can they get them? I moved out of state. Who carries them? Yeah. And, you know, there, there's a place down in Naples, Florida, that'll bring some in every blue moon. And, and you see on the Facebook page, they got them in this afternoon. You better get over there. You better get over there. Oh, that's incredible. And, and no, I, I didn't go to until the next day and they were already out. Uh, so ab- <laughs> absolutely incredible. Um, you know, to close the loop on, on, on the pandemic, cause it, it is such a bummer sometimes to talk about, but it's, it's such an important, uh, it, it, or not even important. It's just such an impact in all of our lives. Are there, are there lessons or things from this time of a pandemic that you will take with you later in life? Well, I'm going to say that, the biggest thing to take out of it is is appreciate your family and friends and make sure that they understand that you love them mm. because you just never know how many of us lost family members because of this thing that you know you need to take the time to make sure that that people know how you feel and how how you love them because it can be taken away in an instant yeah so yeah, that's the main thing I got out of this thing is is show your love and don't ever stop. Mm, that that is great advice for the, I think for the whole world right now. Um, Eric, what do you what do you like doing outside of work? Anything interesting we should know? Do you fly fish? Do you do something? I I, I golf. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, but I'm still horrible at it. We uh, I golf every Thursday night with with friends of mine from cheshire and we we call our our crew sag which is, is blank at golf <laughs> because none of us are good yeah um and it's a place that that they light up at night and every thursday for six months out of the year it, it is the thing i look forward to the most the group of guys i hang around with you know one's more quick-witted than the other and the humor, sometimes you can't putt because tears are coming down your face from <laughs> laughing so much. Oh, that, and that is that is the thing that I love the most. And it's funny because even the wives now, they, they ask, are you guys going to sag on Thursday? Uh, you know, is tonight sag night? and Or they'll have a party. Don't worry, all the sag boys will be here. And 
I, I actually did an interview with Golf Digest about night golf, and she couldn't guess what the S in SAG stood for. Oh boy! Well, I'm going to say stink, but I, I know what it stands for. But I'm going to. <laughs> uh, it, but you know what? We're not proud. We make no bones about it that we're not that good at it. Hey, you know, I I play golf once in a while. I play in some tournaments that I get roped into, like charity tournaments, and oh yeah, I stink at it. But you know what? I love being out there and it's just that, that whole, you know, camaraderie on the course together. It's just, uh, it, it, it's a good time and you're outside. So, um, it, yeah, it, it really was. I, I, you know, just quick story for you. I was playing golf one day with, with Jeff Fox. And I don't know if you remember Jeff Fox. He was a weatherman here on, on sure. one of the TV stations. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, we're standing on the tee box and you could see something, you know, running across the grass. And I said, you know, Jeff, you know what I love being out, out here is just being out with nature and, and being outside. And at the same time, I'm saying this, a hawk comes down, scoops up the thing that was running across, brings it up in the tree and starts pecking the thing to death. And I just looked at Jeff and I said, well, that was just a circle of life moment there for us. <laughs> Coming up at six o'clock. <laughs> But you see it all out of the woods, take the ball off the green and run back in with it. And, but, you know, it's part of being out there and, and being outside and Absolutely. being with friends. And, you know, that that's the thing that, that I, I know that even in, even in the fundraising that I've been doing, it, it, to, to get back and doing live events with people, I find that the people are so much more giving to the organization that we're trying to raise money for uh, because – they're just out with people and interacting with people again. And I think that's what people have missed the most. And they realize that these nonprofits took such a beating during the pandemic that they need everybody's help right now. And, and I'm more, more than happy to get involved and, and help them raise money because you know, that they can't do it without money. Right. That's what we need for sure. If you could give your 22-year-old self some advice, knowing what you know now, what would it be? Oh, you know, there's a lot of sarcastic things I could say with that, but I know that's not, that's not really what you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know what I would, what, and as corny as this is, is going to come out, I would say, you know what? finish your last couple of years of college strong and make sure you pay attention with what you're learning because you know as you're 22 and finishing up college that's really the important stuff at that point they're trying to teach you you know you've gotten past all the basic stuff but yeah i don't think i could go back to to school if anybody paid me to go back <laughs> to school <laughs> <laughs> right. No, same here. Maybe for the socialization, you know, the social aspect. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If I can have my apartment and my friends and that's all I got to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but, you know, as you get older, you, you realize, you know what, some of that stuff was really important and I really should have applied myself a little bit better. So that's the advice I, w I would definitely give myself as, a, as I am now a 60 year old man, you know, my, my my wife makes sure she puts that AARP envelope on the counter. So here, they want you to sign up. You're ready. Let's go. <laughs> Sub, a, a subtle subtle hint. Okay. So I, I, I tell my wife, sarcasm will get you nowhere with me, Missy. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So fi final question. You've been so generous with your time. I, I appreciate it. I, I could talk to you for, for hours. Um, there, 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 there's a podcast on NPR that I really like, and it's hosted by, by a guy named Guy Raz. And he talks to companies all over the world. And he has a question that is, is just so great that I'm going to steal it. Um, and I'm, okay. I'm going to ask it to you. How much of your success has been pure luck and how much of it is from your intelligence and leadership? Well, I don't know. I, I, you know, I tend to have an outgoing personality and, you know, I, I you know, it's the same thing that I taught my children is you've got to be able to talk to from kings to paupers. You have to have the ability to talk to anybody at any time. 
So, you know, I wouldn't say anything really happened by luck, but, you know, if, if you... If you are nice to people and you talk to people and are respectful to people, then good things are going to happen and good things are going to come your way. So, you know, I don't know. Is that luck? I, I, I don't know if I can really answer that because, you know, I am who I am and I, and I don't really change at all. But, you know, you, you've got to make sure that, that you can interact with anybody because you never know what might happen with with just a casual conversation with somebody and i know that that you know we ended up getting an account with a guy that i just happened to be talking to not knowing what he did hmm. and as we started to talk we we you know we we had a lot of laughs together and then it was what do you do well what do you do i mean he had no idea who i was and it just worked out but you know, if, if I had come across as some sort of arrogant person because, you know, my last name was Hummel, we, that conversation would have gone nowhere. So, you know, be who you are and, and just treat people with respect and good things will happen for you. I think that's a, a great, great place to close and leave this. But before we go, I have to ask, um, are any final words or anything else you'd like to add or say? Well, I, I just appreciate you taking the time to recognize our company. You know, we just come to work every day and do what we do. And, you know, we don't really think about it. You know, we know that, that we're here to make a top quality product and we make sure that we do that. But when you have people like yourself that want to take the time and talk about it, you know, that, that makes us feel good about what we do, that maybe we, we're doing something right. So, you know, I, I would say it's more of a thank you to you and, and people like you, you know, that, that show an interest in what we do. That that makes us feel really good. Well, the ple- the pleasure is all mine. And I, and I have to ask, what what do you put on your hot dog? Ketchup, mustard, relish? What What is your favorite topping? How do you eat your hot dogs? A little bit of mustard. And that's it. There you go. There are times, yes, I'll have a chili dog and all that. But as far as as having a regular hot dog right off the grill, it's it's just a little bit of mustard. And I had a chef ask ask me recently. He said, "Oh, I like to load mine up." And I said, "But you don't taste the hot dog that way. And ours is made with 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 great meat and quality spices. Our spices are all natural. That why would you want to cover that up? You're going to bite into it, and all you're going to taste is that garbage you're putting on top of it. <laughs> so, you know, there's one thing that that I will tell you that is in our product is a little bit of mustard seed. So, with with the mustard on it, it all blends together nicely. But the mayor was here, and I watched him put ketchup on his hot dog today. And I told him usually there's an 11 year old cutoff for that, <laughs> but since he's the mayor, we'll 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 let him eat it that way. But but the one thing that that is an absolute non-starter that I've seen happen, and I cannot even stay and watch somebody eat it when they put mayonnaise on a hot dog. Oh wow! I, yes, I'm right there with you. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a lot in common. You have a lot in common with Louis Lunch because if you ask for ketchup on the burger, you you know you're gonna they're, they're gonna look at you like you they, like you have three heads. They throw you out. <laughs> Yep, yep. But but honestly, that the flavor of their product, you don't need anything. Exactly. It's on a, on that toasted bread with that, you know. I mean, I eat my hamburgers just. Uh, I'm a cheeseburger guy, but I'll just put it on a roll and eat it that way. I don't need I don't need ketchup. I don't need pickles. I don't need anything. Right. I just like the flavor of of our hamburgers, and we make a really good hamburger too. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for for this inspiring conversation. And we'll be sure to plug the website, uh, HummelBros.com, where people can find more information. And we'll insert all of those notes into into the uh, in, into the into the show. So I I thank you very much, and and have a great summer. And let's uh, let's do a rain dance that there's no more rain. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you. And I, I appreciate you taking time out of your day just to interview somebody like me. So thank you. Thank you for what you do. And there we have it. That's Eric Hummel, one of the third generation owners of Hummel Brothers. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. 
And if you would like to get some more information on them and find out all about their delicious hot dogs and other products, be sure to visit HummelBros.com. Upfront is brought to you by Mason, an integrated brand communications firm located in Southern Connecticut that provides communications ingenuity through advertising, public relations, social media, digital, and media services. To learn more, visit mason23.com or send an email to hello at mason23.com. This episode was produced, engineered, researched, and designed with help from Eliza Gladwin and TJ Tower. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you next month. Take care.